Hey everyone, thanks for joining my Autism Tribe. Today's episode features Anthony Iani, the first Division I athlete with autism and one of the most sought-after anti-bullying motivational speakers, and for good reason. His story is an absolutely powerful one. And as always, if you're enjoying our podcast, please rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts and share with a friend. That's how we make our voice stronger. Thanks for listening. Welcome to My Autism Tribe, a community of advocates that are linked by autism, but bound by strength. This is a time to find our sounding board and shoulders that help us carry life's load without the fear of criticism. We give and receive. We nurture and empower. I'm your host, Susan Scott. Bullying is a very real and serious problem that affects all ages, ethnic backgrounds, absolutely anyone. However, individuals with disabilities, such as autism, are one of the prime targets for bullies. Our guest today is very familiar with bullying because he was a victim, Anthony Iani of the Michigan Department of Civil Rights. His story is so inspiring. Anthony played with the legendary coach Tom Izzo while at Michigan State University as the very first Division I athlete with autism. I can't wait for everyone to hear his story. It's so awesome. Let's give a warm welcome to the newest member of my autism tribe, Anthony Iani. Hey, Anthony. Thanks so much for joining us today. How are you? I'm good, Susan. How are you today? I'm good. I just really appreciate uh, you taking the time to join us today and share your story. I just really thank you so much. No, you're very welcome. It's definitely an honor and privilege to be on here with you today. Well, you have an amazing story, and I found you online, and I jokingly tell people I friendly stalked you online because (laughs) I'm always looking for those inspirational stories, especially as an autism mom, that give me hope and just really for my son who you know is getting ready to turn six and there's so many the world of unknowns and you are on the autism spectrum can you share a little bit about the diagnosis yes so i was diagnosed in 1993 with um pervasive developmental disorder or pdd nos for short Mm -hmm. and during that time period you know it was very rare for somebody to have an autism diagnosis because in the early 90s, nobody knew what autism was. You know, nobody knew a lot of the characteristics for it. And obviously, during that time period, there was no awareness for it at all. And that was more the ADD, ADHD era for diagnosis back in the day. Sure. And when when my mom first took me in, because um, uh, I was originally born in Athens, Ohio, and when they first took me in um, to get looked at, you know, because my parents kind of noticed something was off. Um, just how, you know, the, the the stimulation from the arenas and the crowd noises and the, um, the sounds from the horn on the scoreboard, it was just too much for me. Mm-hmm. And, my, and my mom and my dad just kind of noticed something that something wasn't right. And or if they gave me a direction, I go do the complete opposite. Like if they told me to go, you know, um, if they told me to go close the door, you know, I would just open it even more <laughs> right so 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 it was little things like that just that my parents kind of noticed so when they first took me in you know the doctors first diagnosed me with you know i see a child with add and my mom was like oh like i know what add is because i've coached volleyball players and basketball players who have you know add and this is not it like it's something else and so mm-hmm. and then they took me to um the children's hospital in columbus and that's where 
um, I got diagnosed with PVD on the West. And so, so early on, it was just basically, you know, just the sounds of things around me, especially in uh, football stadiums and arenas that really kind of triggered my parents into noticing, okay, something's not right with Anthony and we need to kind of figure out, you know, what's going on. And how old were you? So I was four. So okay. I was four at the time. Okay. And you're, you, you speak about all of these sensory challenges in the arenas and on the court. Your parents have a sports background as well. They do. My, my dad played uh, uh, two years of baseball at Michigan State University. And my mom was also a uh, three-sport All-American at Adrian College. And she was an um, academic All-American, All-American for basketball. Still holds like eight or nine, you know, school and league records at, at Adrian College, all-time leading scorer in points in both men and women's basketball, and she's wow. a Jersey retired, so she she's definitely a legend at Adrian College, but um, both, both my parents were college athletes, and then um, my sister, who's four years older than me, she also played volleyball at, um, started off at the University of Pacific in California for three years, and then finished her career at Michigan State, so... So we definitely have a, a family background of college athletics, and you know my parents were kind of the ones that paved the way for me and my sister to, um, you know, kind of follow our own path to uh, getting where we wanted to go in our college dreams. Wow, wow! So that that's absolutely incredible. So your parents took you. You had the diagnosis, and then. What was your path after that? Like, were there therapies that you went into? How did basketball come into the equation? So basketball never came into the equation maybe until I was seven years old. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, at first I was given no path at all, you know, because when I was five, a year later after my diagnosis, um, during my IEP meeting in kindergarten, because they had – uh, some of the um, observers and doctors and experts had me go through some tests and they observed me in a classroom. You know, they had called my parents into a meeting and told them, all right, this is our conclusion. Your son has autism and here's what we conclude. You know, he'll probably barely graduate from high school. He's not going to go to college. We understand your background of athletics. You know, he's not probably, he won't, probably won't be an athlete. And, you know, there there are group institutions that he can go into, you know, whenever he's done with high school and that was that was my path you know that was given to me at five and you know luckily for me um I had parents who had two choices they could either just say okay you know this is his fate we're going to accept it or we're going to be the ones to keep pushing every day and find a way to make all this happen And, and that's what happened and yeah um and when they were getting to the third expert you know my father cut the person off Mm -hmm. He said, you know, hold on, hold on. Like, he said, I appreciate you guys doing and what you're trying to do for us, but let me tell you what our expectations are of our son. He's going to go to high school. He's going to graduate. Then he's going to go on to college. He's going to graduate. And he doesn't have to be an athlete to do all this either. Like, if the good Lord wants to bless him with those gifts, Mm. you know, that's a bonus. But, you know, he's going to do all those things and prove you guys wrong. And so their expectations for me, Susan, stayed up high from day one. Good. were there times that I tested their patience? Absolutely. Like like every kid does yep. with their parent. I mean, my, my kids test my patience, you know, every day. I mean, you, right. you're, you're a mom. You understand Absolutely. That. Um, but they, it, it didn't matter to them. Like, they just kept their expectations high. 
or, you know, and they push, they pushed and pushed and pushed the Oklahoma's public school system where I went to school as a kid. They pushed the, the school system every day to make sure that I got the right services I needed. I got the right resources I needed to help be successful. If something didn't work in my IEP plan, you know, my teachers and my parents and my principal would all get together and go, okay, what's going to work for Anthony? What's going to help him be successful? What can we stick to in this plan that's going to help us be successful as a group and helping him get to where he needs to go? Mm -hmm. And that's a testament to my parents because they just did not quit. And my mom, believe it or not, actually took a year off from working. Mm-hmm. Because her biggest concern or her biggest thing was to advocate for me. Yeah. And that year of advocating for me basically did a lot and more for me. Because, you know, she was the, she was kind of the head honcho when it came to leading the charge, you know, and making sure I got what I needed in public schools. And so, um, so during that time, there really wasn't a lot of, obviously, I don't think ABA therapy even existed, you know, back in the day. But, sure. you know, I had speech therapy twice a week from kindergarten all the way to my junior year of high school. Mm-hmm. And because of those speech, because of those speech sessions, um, it helped me learn a lot because my biggest thing being on the spectrum is, is the language barriers that I have. Sure. Um, growing up as a kid, it was understanding nouns, verbs, idioms, sarcasm and jokes, which sarcasm and jokes are still my worst you know, my biggest weaknesses I have being on the spectrum to this day. And it's probably something I'll have for the rest of my life, which I'm okay with. Yeah. But, you know, being in there with my speech teachers and helping me understand, you know, what a noun is or what a verb is and using a verb in a sentence or a noun. Mm-hmm. And, and they knew my family background of athletics. So what my speech teachers did was, you know, we would play board games or some type of game. And I would roll the dice and say the dice would land on five. Well, I couldn't move my game piece up five spots until I got the right noun, verb, or idiom right. And Susan, I can't even mm. describe and tell you how many times I threw a fit yeah. losing in a game of mousetrap or like Candyland <laughs> or something like that. So, I get upset when I lose at mousetrap. It's, <laughs> it's <right>. devastating. <laughs> and so, and then, and then basketball, basketball I started playing when I was seven. So, and then I stopped when I was 23. So, I, so 16 years of competitive ball. But early on, you know, basketball was just kind of a way for me to like, you know, in, in almost in almost a sense kind of be like everybody else. Because every kid I knew growing up loved basketball. It was mm-hmm. either basketball or football. I mean, those were the two main sports that were probably loved the most when I was a kid. Yep. And, and basketball was kind of that sport like I always wanted to do because... You know, I grew up watching, you know, Michael Jordan, one of the greatest of all time. You know, mm-hmm. I grew up watching Reggie Miller in his prime or Kobe Bryant when he was a rookie. Yeah. Um, Shaq in his early days and, you know, Hakeem Olajuwon and Patrick Ewing, just all those guys, Magic Larry Bird. And I wanted to be like those guys. And at the time, like, I didn't know I was diagnosed on the spectrum. You know, I didn't really know what was going on, you know, in my life because I was too young to really understand what was going on Mm -hmm. but you know basketball was kind of my thing to like kind of get away from the world and whenever michael jordan was on tv i was i was i was in that living room i was in my dad's rocking chair and just watching that you know whatever game you know the bulls were playing because at the time michael jordan was one of my biggest role models and heroes you know and icons and just like everybody else because everybody wanted to be like mike you know 
know, the Gatorade commercial, you know, sure. Mike, like Mike. And, 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 and that was me pretty much. Like, I was in my driveway every day wearing my Michael Jordan jersey, pretending to be him and shooting on that hoop. And, you know, so basketball was kind of that, basketball was the starting point to something that kind of grew into something bigger when I kept uh, growing up. Mm-hmm. Did you always have like a talent with the basketball? I mean, obviously you have to practice to become better. And mm-hmm. um, but and obviously you were drawn to basketball. Is it something that you were just gifted with? Uh, you know, that's a, that's, a, that's a good question because like I, nobody's ever asked me that before. I mean, I mean, obviously, I mean, we're all born in life with, you know, certain gifts that we're blessed with, whether it is basketball or whether it's football or or maybe it's not a sport. You know, maybe you're you you are really, really smart at math and you go on and use that for engineering or um, physics or whatever you go on to do in life. And so, Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, we're all born with different gifts and talents in life. But I think for me, I, I probably didn't really start learning the game itself probably until I got to middle school because, you know, my biggest advantage, you know, in elementary school playing basketball was my height. Mm-hmm. Like I was, I was a super tall kid. And when I got to sixth grade, I was six feet tall and wore a size 13 shoe at you wow. know, 11 years old. So in fourth grade, I believe I was around, I was probably like five, 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 six. And then, fifth grade it was like five nine five ten and then i shot up to six feet tall and started growing two inches every summer after that up until wow um up until the beginning of my junior in high school so so my biggest advantage at the time was my height and so i could just you know my teammates would just throw me the ball down low and i would just turn and shoot the ball and so Mm -hmm. but i really didn't learn like the proper footwork and techniques and post moves probably until i was Probably till, probably until my freshman year of high school. So, you know, because I always use my height as my advantage. But, you know, when I started playing more and more competitive ball, I was playing against kids who were, you know, some were taller than me. And I kind of had to learn the, okay, you're not going to be taller than everybody else or you're not going to be taller against everybody that you play. So you're kind of going to have to figure out a way to do other things than just stand on the block. Because, you know, sure. uh, my diet, my... my, dad, my um, my autism was also kind of a it was also a little bit of a negative too in basketball because you know you know like I said I take things very literal so Mm -hmm. if you had so if the coach told me to go stand on the block (laughs) I I would go stand on the block like I wouldn't move and like and like my mom would say to me you know because my mom would coach me up a lot because of her experiences in basketball she would say to me you know you know Anthony you know, you can move around the post, you can move around the block, you don't stand there, and I'm like, oh, no, 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 mom, like, you <laughs> told me to stand on the block, so I gotta listen to my coach. Yeah, so, yeah. Oh, so that's, that's, so that's, that's kind of where it was for me early on, and just some of the things that I said and did um, from being on the spectrum, you know, my teammates would see that, and they really wouldn't quite understand um, what I just said, or why I meant to say it, or what I was doing, and why I was doing it, so... You know, so it was definitely an up-and-down process for me early on, but once I really started to learn the game and started to learn more of the techniques and footwork from the game of basketball, mm-hmm. you know, then, then I started to really buy into it after that. That's incredible. So when you were in, let's say, middle school and you really, mm-hmm. you know, kind of started playing and here's this really tall kid 
who maybe has some quirks that friends don't quite understand. You know, you've mentioned in several other interviews how that led to some bullying. Because this is really one of my biggest concerns for my son, because it just, it breaks my heart to think about it. Yeah, I definitely get that, you know, and I'm in the same boat as you, you know, being the parent of two boys. And, you know, you always think about, you know, what your kid go through in school one day or what happens in school, you know, are they doing all right? And Mm -hmm. for me, like, a lot of the bullying was because, you know, the number one reason was mainly because of my height. You know, like I mentioned, I was six feet tall at 11 years old, and I had kids who weren't even half my height. Some of them were up to my hip. Sure. You know, they, they were the bullies because, you know, they were the ones that wanted to pick on me because I was the really tall kid. And, 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 and I'm not, and I'm going to, I'm not going to lie to you on this either, Susan. Like I was mm-hmm. a teddy bear, you know, and, and I still yeah. am like, I, I don't have a mean bone in my body, but are there things that will upset me to the point where, you know, that I'll, that I'll walk up to somebody and kind of confront them, you know, and talk to them about it. Yeah, I will do that because, mm-hmm. you know, I've always told people, like, if anybody, you know, comes after, you know, my family or says something about my family, you know, that's where you're going to cross the line with me because, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm always going to defend my family. Sure. Whereas if, if you say something about me or try to disrespect me, like, I'm always going to be one to walk away and not care about what that person says or thinks about me because, you know, I only the only person's opinions I need to worry about in my life are my own, not what anybody else thinks, which is why, like, you know, if I didn't have the job that I have today as a motivational speaker, I would be off social media completely because, you know, it's, I mean, you've probably seen it. It drives me crazy just to see how people talk about each other. Yeah, it is. Just see how people talk about each other Mm -hmm. um, and how they bully and tease each other. And so, but, you know, in my day, which, you know, like 17 years ago, it was 18 years ago, or whatnot. That was a time, and that was a time and age where there was no social media. Mm-hmm. There were no, I mean, cell phones were not iPhones; they were basically flip phones. Yeah. And so, if you had issues with somebody, you were walking up to them face to face about it. And mm-hmm. if you heard somebody talking about you behind your back, kind of the same deal. Like if you have something to say to me, you know, say it to me. Look in my eyes and say it to me, and then we'll move on. Mm-hmm. But, my, I mean, my bullies were just, they went after me every day. And it got to the point where, you know, the entire school was rallying around the bullies to bully me because they thought it was funny, talking about my height, making fun of me for this. And just some of the things, like like some of my autism quirks, people saw that and noticed that and really took advantage of it. Yeah. And it's like, it's like, man, like, what do I got to do to, like, you know, let all this go? And... It wasn't just in the hallways of school. Sometimes it was on my own teams that I was on. Um, yeah. Not 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 more so the basketball team because you know a lot of those guys I played um, I played ball with for a long time and for you know starting in third grade all the way on up. And so a lot of those guys kind of knew me and kind of knew my ups and downs. But some of the guys who you know didn't play with me at first or was the first time you know being a teammate of mine didn't quite understand it sure and so and then but on football you know when i played tackle football i had guys who were just ragging me all the time and you know and it was two guys in particular who went after me for being soft and like you know yeah and like basically making fun of me for some of my quirks and so it it was difficult and it got to the point susan where like i didn't want to go to practice you know football practice you know i would 
I would seriously like try to gag myself before every practice and then tell my mom I was sick because yeah. I didn't want to, I didn't want to endure all that every day. Like I was tired of it. I was sick of it. And, and I did, and part of me really wanted to go to practice or school and just walk up to those bullies and just knock them out because yeah. that's how, that's how, that's how upset I was getting. And so, but luckily, you know, my parents would counsel me every night, would teach me every night. And, you know, and then eventually, you know, my dad and I had a conversation. He said, you know, so here's the deal. Like, obviously, I don't want you using your hands or fists or anything like that. Like, I don't want you to do any of that. But yeah. you you play a sport. Use it to your advantage. Stay within the rules of the game and get your and get your retaliation that way. Mm. And that's what I did. And And my dad was right on to that point. So... Yeah. In sixth grade in Little League basketball, one of my bull- I had to play one of my bullies against his team, and he had to play mine. Mm-hmm. And my my team obviously won the game by double digits, and my bully had to guard me the whole the entire game. Yeah, and I went out and dropped twenty points on the guy. That's awesome. And, and so, and but my dad was right. You know, use the game to get your retribution, and and he was right because after that game, I walked back to school on Monday. I went up to my bully just to go shake his hand and to, you know, put, you know, tell him he did a good job during the game and just move on, put everything behind me. And the guy wanted nothing to do with me. He, he flat mm-hmm. out said to me, you know, I know what you're trying to do, I know what you're trying to say, but I want nothing to do with this. I want nothing to do with you. Like, it, it's over. I'm done. Well, you found a strength and your parents saw this strength. And just like any parent would with a child, hopefully, is if you see that strength, you just encourage it. And that can develop into a passion. I read that you got, gosh, you earned all league and all area honors in your high school. So then you're on the springboard to college. And so you're kind of dealing with the bullying. People are really seeing how awesome you are on the court and now really just taking a closer look at who you are as a person, just a stand-up kind of person. And what did that entry into college look like? It, it was different. I could tell you that. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and it's funny. We talk about, you know, characteristics on the spectrum. You know, another characteristic I had and still have is dealing with change. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if you got, so when I was in high school, you know, this was my schedule. I woke up at, woke up at 6.30 and then I was in, I was in school from like 7.30 to like 2.45. Then I had practiced from 3.15 to around 5 o'clock, 5.15. Um, go home and, or if we had a team dinner at somebody's house, you know, we would have that. Then I go home, finish my homework. Mm-hmm. And then I'd be in bed by like nine thirty, ten o'clock. It's a lot of transitions. That, you know, a lot of transitions, yep. And so when I got to college, I didn't even think about the whole, the whole, so, you know, socializing with people, going to parties, going out on a Friday night or Saturday night. Like I didn't think about that because when I was in high school, I was so caught up in trying to prove every single doubter and hater and doctor and expert wrong. I was just so caught up in that. And I didn't even think about, you know, what other things were out there in college. And so when I got there, I'll never forget the first night I went out with um, my roommate and my teammates. It was just, I wasn't comfortable. Yeah. I really wasn't because, you know, it was kind of the first time I had witnessed people like, 
you know, being drunk and drinking. And yeah. I'm just like, ah, uh, it's like, I'm so uncomfortable right now. Like, I just, I just want to go back to the dorm room and just like watch TV and go to sleep. And so, sure. and so it was just a really weird start to college for me. And then I was still on that schedule. I was in bed by like nine, nine thirty, And then I was up at six thirty going mm-hmm. to the cafeteria to get breakfast for class. And, you know, some of my teammates were like, you know, Anthony, why, why are you going to bed at 9, 9.30? Like, you're in college now. Like, you don't have to do that. But they didn't understand it. And so, yeah, you know, my roommate, who is actually my, is probably one of my closest friends. Like, I consider him a brother. He was best man at my wedding. I was best man at his. Awesome. You know, the, the first time, in the first, like, week we had together at Grand Valley State, of course, we um, knew each other and talked to each other before we got to college. You know, I had told him about me, mm-hmm. you know, just being on the spectrum. And I told him, I was like, you know, if I looked like I was uncomfortable, you know, going out last weekend, you know, this is why. Mm-hmm. And so about two weeks before the season started, um, you know, a lot of the guys went home for a weekend because once the season starts or, or any basketball season, like you're basically, you know, you're, you're locked in. You're, you're locked in. You know, you're you're worried about practice. You're worried about games, so film, scouting report, all that stuff. Like you're just locked in for like the next six months, seven months. Mm-hmm. And so, two weeks before my first official um, basketball season in college started, you know, a lot of the guys went home for the weekend, except for my roommate and one of my other freshman teammates. And so, um, so Mike, my roommate, just walked in our dorm room, you know, Friday evening, and said to me. He said, okay, he said, Anthony, here's the deal. He said, all the guys are gone pretty much this weekend, except for except for you, me, and so-and-so. Mm-hmm. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go out tonight. We're going to try and break you out of your comfort zone. He said, you know, we're not going to do anything crazy. We're just going to go hang out with a couple of people that we met, you know, at freshman orientation. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to go hang out with them and just see where the night takes us. And if you're uncomfortable, you just let me know, and we'll find something else to go do. But... Okay. We we, 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 we got to try to get you out of this comfort zone. We got to try and, and just, you know, kind of get you used to everything that's going on. Mm-hmm. And and that's what we did. So we ended up going meeting up with a couple of people that we met at freshman orientation. And then we went to uh, one of our teammates' apartment that was on campus for a couple of hours. And we just, you know, went out and went with, went with where the night took us. And so, mm-hmm. and I, I think we got back like super late. I think it was like two two or three o'clock in the morning we got back and I remember just telling Mike, I said, Mike, I said, I needed this. And, and then that kind of opened the door for me to have a, having a better social life at Grand Valley State University where I was for two years. Yeah. Um, and, and I tell people, Susan, like the first two years of college at Grand Valley State were probably some of my, my funnest and my best because, you know, I met so many people. I basically kind of grew up. Yeah. You know, I got out of my comfort zone. I was able to kind of get out of that okay, you're in bed by nine o'clock, you know, scheduled type of deal. And it was because, you know, Mike just walked in and just said to me, hey, we're not going to do anything. We're not going to do anything stupid. We're just going to go out and chill with some people and and just have, just have a good time. And if you're uncomfortable, just tell me. What a and great friend. I, and that, yeah, and that's when I knew, Susan, that, okay, this is a guy I can trust. Mm-hmm. This is a guy who understands me. And this is a guy who I know that if I need something or if I need advice from, yeah, he's who I'm going to. So, you know, my first two years of college, my actually my first year mainly was a big reason why it was a success was because of Mike and because of his support for me. 
That's incredible. That's so awesome. I want to meet Mike and shake his hand. <laughs> so you're you're at Grand Valley State. Mm-hmm. You go to bed nine nine thirty, but you were actually dreaming about putting on a Spartans jersey. That was that was <laughs> always my dream, Susan. And it's funny you bring that up because you know, and and it's it's funny we're having this conversation and college football is starting. You know, this weekend Michigan State opens up against mm-hmm. Tulsa in a couple of days here. Um, but, you know, I was always rooting for Michigan State, you know, mm-hmm. f- f- football especially, because, you know, I think I have more of a, a love for f- for watching football than maybe I do basketball because I played it for so long. But, like, you know, if Michigan State was on, okay, I, I'm, I'm in my dorm room watching Michigan State football. Yeah. Or, if, or if Michigan State basketball was on during a day where we weren't playing, I was in my dorm room where I was at. I was in somebody else's room in our dorm or somebody's apartment watching the game. And so... Even though I went to Grand Valley State, my love for Michigan State obviously did not disappear. Like, it was still sure. with me, even, like, almost two hours away from being home. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm sitting here in Lexington, Kentucky, so a lot of people here dream of putting on the University of Kentucky, oh, you know, yeah. the Wildcat Blue. And, um, and, that, and that, for me, like, growing up, I didn't play sports in college, but that was where I knew I wanted to go. That's really cool. Sure. You know, and I think you'll find this a little bit funny too, because when I went to Grand Valley State, they had a um, I, th- I think Kentucky has Go Big Blue, right? Mm-hmm. Correct me if okay. So, mm-hmm. so Grand Valley State had um a Let's Go Blue chant, which that's also the chant um our rivals down in Ann Arbor at the University of Michigan do. Yeah. And so whenever Grand Valley State cheerleaders were getting the student section of football games to do that chant, I never did it. <laughs> I, ne- I never did it because, you know, that that was the Michigan State Spartan in me that never wanted to do that chant because yeah. I knew, like, granted, I knew it was Grand Valley State, but at the same time, I'm like, no, like, our rivals in Ann Arbor do that. Like, yeah, they're not my rival, but you know what? I, I can't stand, you know, right. University of Michigan football or basketball, so, like, I'm not doing that chant. And even Mike and some of my teammates were like, dude, it's okay. I'm like, no, it's not. I said, you have no idea. <laughs> That's so funny. So, you know, you're wanting to go and play at Michigan State. How did that whole conversation start? Like, did you call Tom up and be like, hey, I want to play basketball with you. What can I do? So, so Coach Izzo actually had recruited me when I was in high school. So, you know, because I know they're because some folks may look at my career and go, oh, he wasn't recruited. He was only recruited by Grand Valley State, you know, which, you know, Grand Valley State was not the only school, you know. My freshman or my sophomore year up to my junior year, I was being recruited by a lot of teams, you know. Michigan State, Notre Dame, um, Michigan, Wisconsin, a lot of the MAC schools like Central Michigan, Eastern Michigan, Western, Ohio University, Toledo. Um, I'm probably forgetting a couple others in the MAC there. Valparaiso. Um, Indiana, Purdue, Fort Wayne. So, you know, Drake. So there were there were schools I was being recruited at from all levels, you know, anywhere from Division two, Division three, all the way to Division one. And my first offer was from Oakland University in Rochester, Michigan. And Oakland's mid-major school, but it's a, it's a nice university. It's a nice college. And so they, they had offered me going into my junior year of high school. And so um, my, my point guard, my all-state point guard, who was actually um, – Good, really good friend of mine um he committed to go play to oakland and you know i and at our team banquet um 
after my junior year, I kind of teased a little bit that he and I, yeah, I said, you know, maybe you and I will reunite, you know, at Oakland. Yeah. So I was kind of teasing, I was kind of teasing people a little bit that, okay, I'm going to go to Oakland. And so, and, and initially that was kind of my plan, hoping what I would do was to go to Oakland and you kind of unite with him and, you know, continue what we started at, you know, during our careers at Oakland High School. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Grand Valley State came in the mix. They had offered me a full ride scholarship. And so, and then all of a sudden, you know, I, I wanted to commit to Oakland, but when I wanted to, they had pulled back my scholarship. So it was down to Michigan State and Grand Valley State. And so mm-hmm. I actually had a conversation with Coach Izzo because they offered me a walk-on spot, and then I would earn a full-ride scholarship down the road. Mm-hmm. And Coach Izzo and I had a conversation. I said, Coach, I don't know what to do because, you know, as you know, Michigan State's where I want to be. Yeah. You know, this, this is my dream school. And, like, I, you know, I got more love and passion for this place than probably a lot of other people on this campus, you know, athlete or administrator like you know that's how, that's my personal feel about it so i don't know what to do and he said to me well i'm just gonna tell you right now if you don't take a full right offer then you are absolutely crazy he's like i'll be mad at you if you don't take a full right <laughs> offer. and because i i had always told him that being on scholarship at michigan state was probably my ultimate goal of doing mm-hmm. and he had told me he's like well like i don't have scholarships right now and i don't know when you get one you know so yeah. obviously i believe you would work hard for it but you know, I think in this situation, you know, your school's being paid for, your books are taken care of, your tuition, you know, mm-hmm. food, all that stuff. You know, that's bigger than that's bigger for your family than anything else. And mm-hmm. and and after and the last thing he said to me, Susan, before I went off to Grand Valley State is something I'll never forget. He said, But here's the deal. He said, just know that if anything ever changes at Grand Valley State, you know, you're always gonna you're always welcome here you'll wow. have a locker in a jersey waiting for you you know you know if you ever say if things don't work out just that's know awesome that. and and even during my time at grand valley state susan you know especially my sophomore year when things were really really up and down for me mostly down mm-hmm. you know i had conversations with him over the phone you know i had a couple two hour one hour conversations with him just about my frustrations and he was talking to me from as a coach to a player and just like telling me, okay, this is what you could try to do. This is what you should do. I mean, and he, wow. here's one of here's one of the best college basketball coaches taking his time to talk to me, and I wasn't even on the team. I wasn't even a player of his. And he's yeah, taking time out of his busy schedule to have these conversations with me to help me get through these tough times I'm having in Grand Valley State. And you know, that's the relationship that coaches and I had. You know, even when I was in high school, because of my dad's um, work at Michigan State through through athletics, mm-hmm. um, and so when I decided to transfer and move on from Grand Valley State, you know, I had a lot of I had some schools recruiting me right off the bat. I had a couple of them offer me, you know, outside the Final Four that year um, when when it was in Detroit, and but mm-hmm. everybody everybody and their mother knew that. Michigan State was where I wanted to be, and that, and that's what everybody wanted for me because a lot of my friends knew that that's where I wanted to go from day one. And so, coaches and I sat down and we had a meeting, and I and I told them I said, you know, it didn't work out for me at Grand Valley State because of these reasons, and you know, I'm I'm ready to come home. Yeah, you know, this is where I want to be, and I said, you know, that from day one, and this is where I want to be. This is where I want to finish my career, and. He looked at me and said, he said, all right, but here's the deal. He said, I'm going to push you, 
Mm-hmm. He's like, I'm going to push you like no other coach has ever pushed you maybe in your entire basketball life. Yeah. And he said, there are going to be things that, you know, you're going to look at and go, man, I wish, like, I don't want to do that. But, you know, basketball-wise, it's going to be good for you. Like, if if yeah. we tell you to run a mile, you know, you're going to hate it. You're, you're going to have to run that mile because the whole team's doing it. So, but I, I told him, I said, I'll, I'll run through a brick wall for you. Like if yeah. you tell me to do, if you tell me to go run to the stadium and back right now, I'll go do it because, you know, you're the guy I want to play for, and I'm going to bust my butt for you in this program in this university. And so, and then the last thing we talked about was, um, cause he had always known that I was on the spectrum, you know, because of the conversations he always had with my dad in high school and mm-hmm. in middle school because of their meetings they had all the time. And he said the last thing he said to me, he's like, and here's the other thing I want you to understand, you know. Just because you have autism does not mean I'm going to treat you any differently. You know, I'm going to treat you like mm-hmm. I would every other player that's come through my program. And I looked at him. I said, "I said, Coach, that's what I want. Yeah. I, I don't want to be treated differently. Like I don't want any, I don't want any like advantages over people. I don't want any privileges that guys on the team won't get. Like I don't want that. Like I, I want you to treat me like every player you've had here. I want you to treat me." Like, if Magic Johnson was on the team today, I want you to treat me like Jason Richardson. Like, you know, treat me how you treated those guys. You know, treat me equally. That, that's all I want. And, and, and yeah. quite frankly, Susan, I, that's that's one of the biggest reasons, like, I, I went back home was because I wanted to play for a coach who, who number one, you know, understood me yeah. and knew my background a little bit better. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying, you know, Grand Valley State's coach, like, you know, didn't know my background at all that wasn't the case but you know we just didn't understand how to work with each other or communicate mm-hmm. with each other and I had to learn that and so so my mistakes from Grand Valley State I learned and made sure that I wasn't going to make those same mistakes of communication again when I went to Michigan State so, so so that's how it all started for me you know coaches are saying you know you know welcome home I'm going to push you every day and I'm not going to treat you any differently because you have autism and, and that that's when I knew I was in the right place yeah, absolutely. I have goosebumps because, of course, Coach Izzo is a very well-respected coach, but oftentimes you really don't hear of the really personal connections that they have with their players. You know, it's all about the points and it's about the game and, you know, about the tournaments. And I'm just, I'm actually, I don't want to say I'm surprised because that sounds really bad, but the time that he took to really just connect with you, even when you were not playing for him specifically, just to engage you and coach you without needing a piece of paper that said that he was your coach is just really astounding. Um, And and that's that's the thing, Susan. And, and, you know, it's funny, like, you know, I've met, you know, I have um, my my wife's family, you know, her, her aunt and uncle are Duke grads. You know, mm-hmm. Her uncle played football at Duke, her aunt played Duke. And so that that side of the family is mainly Duke. But, you know, the one thing they've always respected about Michigan State was mm-hmm. Coach Izzo. Yeah. Because of how great of a coach he is, how great of a person he is. And, you know, and then if you go down the line, you know, it's the same thing with Kansas folks that I talk to. Oh, we love Tom Izzo. He's a great guy. Or, you know, yourself, a Kentucky fan, you know, we're mm-hmm. really not surprised by this because of who he is. But, you know, that's the thing. Like, there are some folks out there in our country who see Tom Izzo, but they don't know the real him. Right. Because they'll, they'll see him on TV yelling at a player, and then they'll say, oh, he shouldn't be doing that. But at the same time, it's like, well, 
he yelled at me for all those years in practice and it, and it didn't bother me one bit because that's his coaching style. But what he has done, Susan, at that university, as far as like developing a family atmosphere and, you know, I, I tell some recruits, you know, whoever, I, whenever I get to meet recruits at our reunions, like I tell recruits this all the time and, and it's no, in no way, shape or fashion, you know, disrespecting Kentucky or Duke or mm-hmm. Kansas or Arizona or anybody like that. But I've always told recruits, I said, when you come to Michigan State, you're going to be at, a, at you're going to have something that no other college basketball program will have. Mm-hmm. And that's the family atmosphere, because we, we have two reunions every year. We have one in football season and we have one during basketball season. And mm-hmm. we get over anywhere between 200 to 300 former players come back for those reunions wow because because of coach Izzo, because of what he's built at michigan state because of how much michigan state means to a lot of those guys and you know coach Izzo's always told us you know he's just the, he's just the guy that coaches you know the players do all the work the players build the program but at the same time if he's not there i'm i'm, I'm willing to bet we don't have these reunions we don't have that yeah. You know, we don't have that welcome home family like atmosphere whenever we go back to those offices and visit with the coaches or watch practice practices or watch games. Mm-hmm. And and that's what I tell recruits. I said, you're going to you're going to you're going to come here to Michigan State and then 4 years later you're going to walk away knowing that you have a home for the rest of your life because that's what our program is about is about family. And and again, like I whenever I talk to people about what's the difference between us and Ohio State well, mm-hmm. I don't, in my opinion, I don't think Ohio State has that same like family atmosphere that we do, because you know Michigan State University as a whole, they heard about you know what our program stands for as far as family goes, mm-hmm. and now some of our current and former students consider Michigan State as family because we're all Spartans, and so, and it's funny, Susan, you know, whenever people talk to me about the whole you know, the whole group home comment that those doctors and experts, you know, said to my family. Yeah. I've always told people, I said, you know, I kind of did grow up in a group home. It was a group home of 50,000 green and white, you know, that's students. A, that's a great, and, great point. And so, but a lot of it was because of Coach Izzo. And, you know, he, and I know the last couple of years, you know, he's, he's kind of come under fire, especially with what went down at, at Michigan State. But, you know, he was kind of the guy that held our pro, that kind of held everybody above ground. You know, because he was leading, he was being a leader, and that's what and that's what he is in Michigan State. He's he's not just a coach. You know, he he's a great leader. And you know, when you look at guys like myself and Draymond Green, who plays for the Golden State Warriors, when you ask, you know, where do we get our leadership from, or who taught us to be great leaders? Mm-hmm. You know, obviously, we're going to say our families. You know whether it's mom or dad taught us you know a lot, but Coach Izzo is always in that conversation because yeah. of how he taught us not just the game of basketball, but, but but how he taught us you know about the game of life as well. Absolutely, you've had some amazing supporters in in your life, and I think that's really what it comes down to when you look at this positive trajectory of a child's life from the time they they are diagnosed until the time that they do graduate high school or college. And maybe that's not in the cards for everyone, but any kind of progress is going to take good leadership, 
good support, great encouragement, love, patience, perseverance, all of that wrapped up together in order to make that child succeed. And I'm just amazed. Your parents, Greg and Jamie, I want to give them a hug. It And high five, Coach Izzo. It's like, it's amazing to hear that amount of support. And I want to just say to all of our listeners, that support doesn't necessarily just exist at school. It doesn't exist on a on a basketball team or or just at home. It's all inclusive. It takes a village, like they say, to raise a child. And that you know, whether you're on the spectrum or off the spectrum. And always meet your child where they are. If you see a strength, then encourage that. And um and I love what you're doing as far as you know, your motivational speaking, you obviously have not only a gift for basketball, but just storytelling. And, you know, a lot of storytelling, you have to have a good story and you have one of the most inspiring stories. So I can't thank you enough for, for sharing yours. And I know, and, and I, I hope that the listeners out there Really just take everything that you've said to heart and see that there is hope. Don't set limits on them. Push them. They will grow. And like you said, I believe one time, it's like you can do extraordinary things. Autism doesn't define who you are. You define who you are. Right. And that's, and that's basically the reason why, Susan, like I got into motivational speaking and doing what I'm doing now because, mm-hmm. you know, I, so my first ever speech I gave was at a nonprofit um, uh, gala in Detroit about mm-hmm. two weeks before I graduated from Michigan State and so I did like a nine ten minute keynote and you know I remember and, and this was a time where I was like every other senior in college like oh no what am I going to do like you know what, what's my next step and so I was kind of at that crossroads of what I was going to do and so mm-hmm. after the gala I got, in, I got in the car with my wife and we were driving home and I said to her I said I think I know where I'm meant to be now and she goes well what do you mean I said I said let me ask you this question I said I said other than Dr. Temple Grandin who's one of the most famous individuals in the world of autism and and a good friend and mentor of mine Mm -hmm. I said other than her I said name me somebody else that the autism community looks up to like her yeah you know name somebody like her who name name me somebody else like her who's a big role model uh, excuse me role model icon and leader in that community and she couldn't name anybody. She couldn't name another person. And I said, well, you know what? I'm going to go be that guy then. <laughs> I'm going to go be that guy to yeah. be that, that leader, that role model, and that icon for not just those on the spectrum, but for those who are affected by autism in some way, whether it's a parent, um, you know, a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, a friend, whoever. Like I said, I want to go be that guy. And what I what I love to be, the, the one who she passes the torch down to one day and just says, you know what, I can't continue this anymore, but I want you to do it for me. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's always been my hope and, you know, one of my biggest dreams, but you know what? I've also told people, I said, if that never happens, I'm going to continue to do what I'm doing because, you know, we have over 3.5 million people in our country with autism and Mm -hmm. they're, and a lot of those individuals on the spectrum need a voice. Yeah. That's all. I'm going to go continue to be the, the voice for those who need one. And, you know, I love what I do. I love the community I represent. And I, I tell people, Susan, I'm going to continue to do this for as long as I can. And there's so many other things I want to I want to do in my career, so many other things that, you know, I've yet to accomplish. Yeah. But, you know, but I'm just going to take 
I'm going to take those things day by day and just, you know, enjoy the process and enjoy the ride in the process as well. You're absolutely incredible. Thank you. Thank I you so that. much. And my autism tribe is going to support you in whatever you do and wherever you go. You, we have your back. Absolutely. And, um, would love to, you know, continue the conversation. I'm going to consider you as part of my autism tribe. Thank you again for, for everything that you're doing and for the person that you are. Thank you, Susan. I greatly appreciate it. Anthony repeatedly delivers a consistent message wherever he goes with whomever he is speaking with. And that is that those on the autism spectrum have the same dreams, desires, and goals as anybody else. Anthony's family made a pledge they would help Anthony be successful no matter what. Well done, Greg and Jamie. We're so proud of your son, Anthony. Thanks for being a part of my autism tribe, and I'll see you next week.